0: This was recorded at the 26th Chinwag Live event, Music, Who Pays the Piper, on 15th July 2009 at the Slug and Lettuce in Soho, London. The panel featured Dave Haynes, UK manager at SoundCloud, Dom Hodge, associate director at Fruct Music, Helen Linval, journalist at The Guardian, John Mitchell, sales director at Spotify, Richard Jacobs, head of radio at Mediacom, with social media and digital strategy consultant Steve Bobrick chairing. It was sponsored by Sun Startup Essentials. The event was produced by Julie Island for Chinwag. Hello, everyone. Um, now, these things could be a terrible bore, can't they? So in order to prevent this one from being a real bore, the only guarantee that this event will actually be really interesting and stimulating and that you get lots of, lots of, uh, uh, of new insights from it and that you go back to work tomorrow with lots of exciting new ideas is if you join in. That's the deal. So it doesn't have any... There's no formal audience participation segment. Well, I might think of one while I'm up here. But I do really need everybody to join in. And actually, I'm already gratified to notice that you have... You've filled right... nicely, right up to the front. But if you see any spaces further forward... And actually, those of you at the back, there are a couple of places you could sit in right over here on the left-hand side next to uh, well-known BBC technology correspondent Rory Ketlin-Jones... Who is almost certainly twittering, audio booing, and so on? There's, oh, there's no Wi-Fi apparently. Okay. <clears throat> so please do sort of shuffle round. the order The order of day for these things. I've done a lot of these now for Sam and the guys at Chinwag. Is that they're quite informal, and the Q and A bit tends to be quite good fun, and it tends also to be quite um um. What's the word? We we you know we uncover some tensions, and we get a little bit of uh, a bit of needle occasionally, and that's all part of the fun. And one of the things I'm really hoping is that we can spark off of the, the panel this evening, because looking at their biographies, I also have a sense that amongst them, we'll find some differences as to philosophy. Uh, let's just put it like that. So I'm really hoping that we can get, get, um, get them all, um, well, basically fighting. That would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> and... Um, but well, let's see how it goes. Now, I'm, I'm get, just going to just kick off with a little bit of um, you know, re- recent history of the uh, recorded music industry. And I, you really do forgive me if you heard this at a very similar event a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week. Yes, of course. You know. I've refined it slightly. Uh, now, The thing I think you all probably understand is that the technology for making music, you know, the musical instrument bit of it, is actually quite old. It's actually about 35,000 years old. Um, which I found to be a quite astonishing number. And that's a firm number. That's not a guess or a speculation. They've found musical instruments dated at 35,000 years old. So people have been using technology of one kind or another to make music for about 35,000 years. Interestingly, that's four or five times longer than we've been living in cities, four or five times longer than we've been farming four or five times longer since, uh, than, uh, 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 than we've been settled in one place rather than wandering and hunting and gathering and so on. A really remarkable period of time. I mean, it predates written language and the wheel and, and, and metalworking and all those really important human things. In uh, As an aside, I learn in my research that uh, the Neanderthals, who actually died out around here about 30,000 years ago, could sing. Did you know that? There's a reasonable chance they did sing as well. They had descended larynxes, which are really important. You need a descended larynx to sing. So it's certainly the case that even non-human hominids like the Anatoids were singing, for goodness sake. It looks like humans have probably been singing for something like a quarter of a million years, possibly longer. Uh, Around the same age are the first technologies of recording music. allow me to stretch the point a bit. If you think of ritual as a way of remembering, then we've been recording music for probably a million years because we've been passing it on via ritual from generation to generation. So that's how uh, how old recorded music is. Now, musical notation, by contrast, is a bit of a baby. We've been writing music down only for about 4,000 years. Are you getting all these numbers? They're really cool, aren't they? Really large numbers. That's what you want, to start an event like this. Really large numbers. So we've been uh, um, writing music down for about 4,000 years. And although it's not actually shown in the archaeological record, that, that's, it's likely that the first music publisher set up shop about 3,999 years ago. And, and, and it looks like the first agent was set up about a fortnight after that. Uh, now... Th- the oldest mechanical methods of recording music date back, and this is another really remarkable number. Get this, guys. The oldest mechanical method of recording music is a 1,000 years old, a little bit more than 1,000 years old, actually. It comes from Iraq, and it used bumps on a cylinder, not unlike much later technologies. So that's another remarkable number for you. So look, the reason why I'm dumping these big numbers into the debate, I don't really expect the guys to address the archaeology of music. Honestly, I don't. It would be fun if you have got a perspective on it, but you don't need to. The reason I'm dumping these big numbers in is because I want people to have some perspective. And I want us to try and tease out during this session, if we can, uh, my principal worry about music and the music industry going forward. Is it possible, I'm wondering, taking this kind of really long view from a distance of 30 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 years, whatever period you like to choose, that we'll remember the short history of recorded music, the bit of recorded music that we understand, about 100 years, as a kind of, you know, the 100 years approximately of the 20th century, will we remember that as a kind of golden interlude? Will we look back on it as a kind of forgotten period of easy money for artists and labels and publishers and collection agencies and so on? And uh, with, with that question, I'll now introduce the panel to you. Now, I've, I've ordered them cleverly in exactly the order they're on the web page. This makes it much easier for me. It means I won't get confused. So we start with Dave Hayes, who's UK manager of SoundCloud. Sorry, Haynes, of course. And we were just chatting about one of SoundCloud's recent projects, was that they were helping with the Music Hack Day at the weekend. And one of the projects that emerged from Music Hack Day was a really good, fun application called City Sound. CitySound.fm. So I would encourage you to check out CitySound.fm because it allows you to listen to sounds uploaded to SoundCloud from around the world, from many cities around the world. And it's really exciting, although we just discussed the fact that it it doesn't appear to have a pause button. It's a bit annoying, but you know, apparently that's going into the premium offer. (laughs) (coughs) Now, moving along, and and of course... um, uh, Dave is responsible for all sorts of other interesting ventures which we might learn a bit about as we go along. Now Dom, moving along, is an associate director, one of the people behind Fruct Music, a consultancy and an agency with a music specialism, publisher of lovely glossy brochures that were full of ideas and quite intriguing, if I remember rightly. They kind of, oh, he's got one with him. That's exciting, isn't it? So uh, let's, we'll hear from him about working with those big brands and getting them to use music. Helion Lindvall is a journalist... All sorts of things, actually. Also a musician. But one of the interesting things I found out when doing my extensive research is that she blogs at the Guardian's website, and it turns out that she's rather a robust critic of the free model. So I'm sort of hoping that we might get a bit of needle going with the next man along, John Mitchell, who's sales director at Spotify. Did you see what I did there? And... Uh, and now, uh, you understand what Spotify is, so I, do, I needn't dwell on that. And I'm really excited uh, to learn a bit more about what they're up to now and where they think things are going. And then right down at the end there, we've got Richard Jacobs, who's head of music at Mediacom. And uh, he's responsible for a staggering amounts of expenditure in, uh, in the music sector with clients like Audi Group, GlaxoSmithKline, T-Mobile, and so on. And he has a, a, a long history in uh, radio and music. So, let's get started. The way it's going to work is, I'm literally going to ask for a few minutes from each of our panellists, they're going to talk from their own experience, they're not going to make a sales pitch, they're going to talk from their own experience about the topic of tonight's event. When, once we get to the far end, we'll go to you guys. So you need to start getting your questions ready, okay, because it will be really embarrassing if you haven't got one when we get to the
1: end. Okay, let's start. Dave. Dave. Um, Okay, so I guess my view. So, who pays the piper? Um, I think it's uh, you know definitely fair to say from the outset um, that that is an ever-changing um, answer. Um, we had a period of you know some stability for at least kind of you know fifteen, ten years. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it's really changing. The dynamics are changing. Um, I'd argue that one massive factor in that change has been technology. Um, and all the way from the Neanderthals, just to reference the earlier argument, you know, the ways that we capture, the way that we interact with music and the way that we, you know, uh, sell music, if that's what your industry is, um, is changing with that. So, you know, all the way from, you know, selling sheet music and then people recording it on, you know, gramophone records, they're moving to CDs, et cetera. We've now come, kind of come to a, a point where technology's maybe moved ahead a, a little bit ahead, and the whole actual, what you'd call the music industry, is changing. Um, I'm also quite interested in the way... I mean, we always talk about how music's changing and the future of music. Um, Quite often when people talk about the future of music, they actually mean the future of the music industry, which can be slightly dull, because we're also actually seeing a massive revolution in the way that music's actually being played and collaborated upon, um, and that's something that that we're quite interested in at SoundCloud. So... Um, I mean, I guess, you know, with people like Spotify um, on the panel, then, you know, the real, you know, prevalent argument in the the industry is, you know, paid for versus access, you know, is it subscription, is it streaming, etc., 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 and that's definitely changed. Uh, I mean, Napster kicked everything off eight years ago. Um, you know, people didn't quite get it. It started out as a legal thing anyway. And for me personally, I think the music industry missed an absolutely massive opportunity. They should have been on that earlier. They should have moved us forward to this date a lot more quickly. Um, I guess one of the issues that will come up later on and probably addressed by the people more at the kind of the, the business end of selling music and selling advertising its the music is, you know, just, you know, the the kind of licensing around that which is again moving from the old model into the new model so um, I guess uh, I should really I mean just on kind of SoundCloud's part where we are we're not actually a kind of commercial you know music thing so we're less concerned with who's actually paying for the consumption of music as opposed to just becoming you know a kind of default platform on the web for people who need to upload their own music and we're actually focused more on the kind of professional market so we've been kind of likened to things like the Flickr for audio or, or Wired ran an article a couple of weeks ago saying we were the, the MySpace for the Twitter era so it's not just how it's affecting consumers it's also affecting bands and artists and how, how they're actually you know, um, you know, using their music, promoting their music, and collaborating with others. So, um, but I guess I should move on and then come back to some of those points. They didn't really say MySpace for the Twitter era, did they? Yeah.
0: I'm really <laughs> shocked. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, actually, I would like you to give us an extra minute or two and actually explain how it works, okay? How your business works, how SoundCloud works because
1: it 's fascinating, but you know and there 's a nice video on the website, but these people might not have seen it um, yeah, so I guess uh, I mean in terms of how it works, if you 're actually a user we 're uh, more for kind of actual rights owners and people who are producing music, uh, some of those don 't consider themselves to be rights owners, they just consider themselves musicians making fantastic music, so um, but we 're predominantly aimed at them, they upload their music, and then really from there, they can go on and, and, and do what they want with it and we 're trying to provide a hub. In the cloud, just to use a buzzword there, um, where people can then um, spread their music. So whether that's privately, so it could be you know a major record label servicing a, a, a record to 100 journalists rather than sending it to the Daily Star and getting it sold on eBay like we saw last week. Um, or it could be just somebody selling, it could be a, a high-end producer sending a track to a studio in New York um, using our time comments feature to annotate it and get feedback and then and then get the track back. Um, or it could be uh, just an artist, uh, I mean, somebody like Moby, Moby was actually using SoundCloud um, to distribute his music um, across Facebook. So um, it's really great if you actually want to publicly get your music out there, you can put it up to SoundCloud as one hub and then distribute it to MySpace, Twitter, Facebook, blogs, etc. And one, one key thing is that we also have, we're also a developer platform, so a little bit how, you know, people... People are building like apps for Twitter to extend the functionality of what they do. That's also happening with things like CitySounds.fm and people be uh, building, you know, iPhone apps and things like that. So, I guess the one relevant question is uh, who pays the piper. So, you know, who who is paying for SoundCloud and, and why do we exist as a business? And uh, I guess really the uh, we work on a freemium model. So, um, unlike Spotify, um, well, who also have that kind of model, but we don't sell any adverts. So we're just selling accounts to pro users. So in the way, same way that anybody can upload photos to Flickr, start using it as a kind of base to store all their photos and use them online. Uh, same with SoundCloud. You can upload tracks to SoundCloud completely free of charge, send them out to as many people, any file size. If you're a professional, you probably want to, uh, you know, upload WAVs and AIFFs and things like that. So you can do that. Uh, um, and really, um, where the kind of business model uh, kicks in and who's paying is the people who really need the pro features. So if you're a major label and you're, all your A&Rs are using our Dropbox feature, for example, um, then you're going to need to uh, um, upgrade. So we're kind of, yeah, classic kind of freemium model, I guess so.
0: What's interesting there is that you, 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 you can still pitch yourself as essentially a kind of neutral conduit. You're not actually concerned with the economic model of either the creator or of the other end of the chain. It's an interesting model. And, and, and uh, I suspect that Don works with a lot of clients. You a link. I'm trying to work up a link with each one. You see that? Uh, uh, now, I suspect that Don works with a lot of clients who don't have the luxury of not being concerned with the economic model. They're right in there next to the economic model. So let, tell us a bit about that, Don. Use that microphone, please, so that
2: I can swing this one around.
3: Okay, Um, so, I mean, first I'll talk a little bit about how I feel uh, the industry has changed. So I can go back 35,000 years, but I think I'll probably do about about 100 and a bit. Uh, And then I'll talk about what we do with brands and music, because I think that's kind of why I'm here today. Um, I think what's really interesting... When you, when you look at what's happened since kind of the Edison talking machines through to tapes, CDs, etc., the, 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 the recorded music industry, every time there was a new technology, they used it as an opportunity to upsell, to resell, to basically grow value of the overall industry. They made money out of new formats. And what changed with the internet was it disrupted everything. It's a so-called disruptive technology, obviously a buzzword that's overused, but it really did shake things up because suddenly people were taking stuff for free. They weren't being forced to buy it and that this control, this, you know, Gerd Leonard talks about the end of control, and actually, you know, it, it is about control, that the control moved from the traditional industry into the hands of the consumers to a certain extent, and suddenly they wanted to be able to control where they got content, how they get content. I think the really exciting part is how they shared content and recommended content. You know, music has always been about sharing. It's, a, it's, it's more social than anything out there. It's more social than sport and fashion. I mean, obviously, I would say that working for a music agency, but I believe that as well. Um, and I think you know I, I think things have changed but I, I think that I personally and as a company uh, fruit believe massively in the value of music that, that music has a value that, that the creators deserve to be rewarded uh, the investors in that music deserve to be rewarded if you're a company and you've signed an artist and you've developed an artist you, you want to see that return you, you don't do it altruistically some may do it altruistically but a lot of people do it for the return and artists will do it for the love of the music but they also want to do it Hopefully, to survive, so, to survive yeah, and maybe to make money. There's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to prosper in the world. I th- I th- you know, I think music is an art form, but also it's a business. It's a music business. Um, and and what we do at Fruct, we have two arms. Um, uh, one is called Fruit Music Intelligence. We publish reports, and we're business mm-hmm. consultants, often to the traditional industry, so rights holders, broadcasters, retailers. But the main part of our business is that we work with consumer brands um, who use music to communicate to audiences. That's the the, the best way to describe it. And we encourage our clients to basically invest in in music culture. So it's not about buying a band or forcing a band to sell out or or, or kind of uh, somehow forcing their presence onto a festival or an event. It's trying to find a way to be useful within the music space and doing that with the reason to reach audiences so they, they're, they're doing it for commercial objectives but we encourage them to do it in a um, authentic way, again another overused word in marketing but it's very very important with music and I think what's happened now is that this, this generation has grown up uh, with this disruptive technology they expect music for free um, and perhaps as Dave mentioned it's, for them it's more about access than ownership, you know they want to be able to get music wherever they are um, and I think that Brands still see a massive value in music audiences. That's what they care about. They care about the people behind the artists, behind the genres, behind the scenes, those people, and the huge passion they have for music, the affinity it brings, uh, the love it brings, the, the, the reason they want to share it with people. And because they value it, they want to reach these people. Now... When services come along, like Spotify, they'll allow them to become part of that discovery, con- general consumption and sharing. That's a positive thing for a brand. If it's done in a good way and the message reaches them, that's what they want to do. And so, so I think, you know, the industry needs investment. The industry needs uh, revenue flowing through it if people aren't consuming in a normal way. So if a brand or an advertiser provides... That investment, that do- those dollars, that's a positive thing for everyone involved. The most important thing is that it's done in an authentic way, that the platforms that serve those messages do it intelligently and, and not in a crass way, that we learn that we're not in the TV or the radio age anymore and kind of this push-based marketing won't really work. You need to target your messages to the music audiences. You need to make them want to share what you tell them. Um, and I, and, I, and I think that, you know, the, this area of kind of free music is really exciting, but someone must pay the piper. And my answer to paying the piper is that the brands, the advertisers, will increasingly pay the piper. Consumers may not pay directly, so the, the payment from the consumer is hidden. Uh, it's invisible or it doesn't exist. And it will be advertisers, it will be brands, third parties who provide that access and pay for it. So thank okay.
0: you. Um, If I were doing a... Uh, I, I probably ought to have done this more formally, but if I was doing a kind of a poll as we went along the table, I've got the feeling that, that if if asked to answer the question, who pays the piper, you might say, you you might be neutral. You might say, unknown, wait and see, not bothered. My model doesn't actually depend on the answer to that question. And then you might say...
3: Brands, advertisers. Yeah, I, I would say I, I would caveat by saying brands and advertisers will be growing. They will grow in importance. I think consumers, there will always be niche audiences that will pay a premium sometimes for, for content or for access to an artist. That that's not going to go away. People will not stop paying for music. Yeah. But I think that those that have stopped paying, there can still be revenue from them, and brands will take that that space. Very good way of putting it. But I'm just going to boil that all down to advertisers.
0: More advertisers. Okay. And now, right, moving along. Now, Hellion, it, which rhymes with Korean, I yes. do I got that right, I am told, is both a, a working musician and a blogger. And also, by the look of it, Swedish. Yes. Are you, do you hold a Swedish passport? Yes, I do. And and also, can you vote in Sweden? Yes, I can. And did you vote pirate? You must be joking, right? Uh, okay. I suspected as much. So, if uh, you know, a, a minute with... Helene's blog will confirm that as a working musician, she's very down on the free model, very down on piracy, and very down on people who pretend to be liberators of music but are actually just businesses in disguise. So give us a couple of minutes about uh, the, uh, the, the, the topic, and then we'll move on.
4: Yeah. Um, well, it's a bit simple to say that I'm against you know, free music. Um, I'm against people making money... Of a music and not paying the people that actually created the music, which is, thank you. I mean, because there, there are. I mean, obviously, uh, the pirate Pirate Bay didn't. You know, had no intentions of, of paying it. And I think a lot of startups, uh, to me, it seems, um, will go and make deals because they know that they can't have music as the center uh, of their business without having. Coldplay, U2, you know, a lot of the major label artists. Um, And the independent record labels and even the unsigned artists get left behind. Um, Music, The music industry consists of producers, songwriters, loads of people that don't make money off of merchandising, for example, um, that don't make money off of uh, touring. Matter of fact, artists, a lot of artists... Um, one thing that um, a lot of people uh, get surprised by is that actually it costs money to tour if you're starting out. Um, they, uh, inside the music industry, uh, the, the common, what, what they say is that the, cut, the break-even point is if you fill out the Shepherd's Bush Empire. If you have a gig that is smaller than that, it's it's going to cost you the tour, but when you fill out Shepherd's Bush Empire, it won't cost you. And anything bigger than that, you know, you can you can actually make money off of it. Um, and um, well, that's that's basically my uh, what I try to focus on. And I also fo- focus on as a songwriter, obviously, um, the YouTube issue um, and how uh, we feel a bit bullied. In, in that sense that um, you know there needs to be some sort of minimum and and I can vouch for it as a songwriter that i've never i mean i've had some records i've you know worked with Roger Sanchez, a lot of dance artists and whatever um, i've never seen anything show up on my p r s statement from youtube ever, and people who've sold a lot lot more records and have been hit had millions of hits may have had maybe 30 quid from YouTube. So I don't think they're, um, they're going to go under from what they, they've been paying the songwriters so far.
0: I specifically, when you talk about YouTube, you're talking about the recent public dispute, YouTube and PRS, about uh, arriving at uh, a level of payment for... Yeah, well, well
4: one, one interesting thing with that, I think, is that, um, and I didn't even know, as a, as a songwriter... Uh, I, I actually, when I just worked as a songwriter, I didn't know half as much about who, who gets paid and how they get paid uh, compared to now when I actually have lo- looked into it because of my blogs. Um, I, you know, realized that actually the record companies get paid about ten times as much as the songwriters from uh, streaming. Uh, there was no argument with Universal or... or uh, well, I keep mentioning Universal because it's the biggest major label. But there was no arguments there because they obviously a lot of times get paid up front. But songwriters uh, don't have that luxury. They don't get paid up front for, for any of the deals. Um, so now PRS have actually lowered their rates by almost two-thirds when it comes to streaming. Um, And YouTube is still not happy because YouTube wants to have a flat fee. The problem with a flat fee is that the more popular YouTube is, the less the artists or the songwriters are going to get paid, obviously, because it's going to be less of the cake to, or, you know, more people to have the same cake, basically.
0: Okay, thank you. Now, answer the question, who pays the piper?
4: Yeah, I thought it was interesting who pays the piper because you who pays you with SoundCloud I thought who pays the piper would be the music that, for, who pays the people who, who produce the music is that what we're saying
0: yeah, I, I guess we're saying where's the economics in the in the future music industry the the rational economics of you know uh, physical objects shipped out to stores has evaporated uh, so what replaces that
4: um, I mean it's interesting points Ad funding is an interesting point um obviously it's it's not really working at the moment. Um, it's not working for newspapers either. I can attest working for a newspaper too. Um, so it's like I work for the two businesses that, that are having the biggest problems actually um, existing or surviving um, through free content. Um, it's interesting what you're talking about, I think. Um, the the branding thing. I think that will work for a lot of artists. There are certain artists that, that might they They might not uh be able to get any branding because they might be anti corporation like uh, this band king blues so i, I don 't know i mean but they would probably um uh, make money off of a touring um, I think that's interesting um, I think that it needs to be uh, value content um, I do think that i mean i I might be a bit um kind of uh, old fashioned but I think it, it's important for for Because I do think that fans are willing to support the artists that they like. Um, And if they think that the artists are getting supported when they're not, uh, I think it's a very dangerous thing. I think that uh, if they uh, think that the artist gets paid down the line and the artist doesn't, um, that's a problem. I think that if we have a more direct communication between uh, artist and fan, then... I believe, you know, at least nine out of ten fans would, would be happy to actually uh, support, or maybe even like the Marillion case, mm. pay the artist to make another record.
0: That'll do. That's an answer. I'm putting that down as fans, okay? Right. Th- thanks, Hillian. Now, um, let's move along to somebody who, who, who seems at least to have made a, bit, a start, at least, at answering the big question and of putting in place a viable replacement for the old world economics of the record industry tell us about it John
5: Um, I think we're all going to be paying for it with our ears or eyes and then also your wallets I think it's going to be a mixture of everything Um, Spotify really is set up to try and move people from music piracy over to a legal framework which is then monetized either through the free version actually hands up who hasn't used Spotify here that's fantastic, brilliant! <laughs> so, oh, there's one, there's one. <laughs> the Guardian has
4: Spotify. The Guardian has Spotify on every single computer up in their offices.
1: So then, um, just, 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 quickly, hands up if you're a pre a premium subscriber. Okay, one. Okay. We love you. We love you.
6: Okay.
1: Just for um, the record, I'm a massive believer, but you know, just wanted to ask the questions. Um, no, the, the drinks are on you, sir. <laughs> <And> <laughs> although
0: although I'm also I'm I'm just as sure that Spotify's model is evolving very quickly, and that the premium model may have
5: less of a role than it perhaps did at the beginning. Um, I I think the premium role uh, premium model is um going to get bigger. Actually, um, it's <laughs> for those who signed up, <laughs> all of you sign up, it's going to get better. Um, so. The reason being is like the ad version has to be there because if anyone wants to go and test Spotify out and use it for the first time, they're not going to be paying a ten or whatever amount it is. They just want to go and use it. Um, so you need to have that. And then also, you've then got to look at the value proposition of what premium is giving you. At the moment, some people who are really, really into their music feel that ten pounds to get rid of the ads is fantastic However, down the line, actually, we need to go out and prove to people that there's even more value within it. So I don't know if any of you saw that we do CD bit rate. We increase the bit rate in premium. And, and all those little bits and pieces, albums, pre-release, merchandising, ticketing, a whole bunch of stuff that will sit in premium. If and when we go and build the app into other bits and pieces, could that be a, free, uh, a premium setup? So it's actually looking at the value proposition. The other thing to say, I don't know, Can you all hear me at the back? Is that... It's all working? Um, The other thing is, actually, we are only really five months old. I think a lot of people come in and go, Christ almighty, you're making a lot of noise. But we've only really been around properly, numbers-wise, since February, especially for Richard. Uh, For me having to go into Mediacom, they're not going to talk to me when I've got 80,000 users. We would have just been too small. But we've hit 2 million now, and that's kind of a significant number for an ad agency to look at. So I think certainly early doors you wouldn't have expected iTunes six months in I don't know how many of you are using iTunes even six months into their creation and going yeah of course this is the way forward for music but actually I think you've got to give a lot of these digital businesses time to build their case and build their proposition uh, for individuals Um, but in terms of uh, compensating the artists, that is so crucial that they've spent years, days, whatever it is, making their content and making the stuff that we love. And they have to be compensated. Um, nicking it, yeah, there are loads of services, torrent services that you can go and use. But going to places like Last.fm, Spotify, We7, enables people to start making money from their creation and their hard work. And I really do think they should be compensated. You're not going to get breaking new acts done for nothing, by and large. You're not going to get a massive label sinking millions of dollars into an act to create another great album without them getting money. So we are just one area that they're going to start to make more money from the acts. Without, I mean, if we're moving 95% of people away from piracy into a legal framework, that's got to be a good thing. So, um, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe I'll get some questions in a minute. Um, so that, that's really where we're coming from. I, I can touch on the ads, do, do far questions from the the ad ad side of the business because that's making massive inroads. I don't know Um, how many of you use it on on a regular basis, but you probably notice there are far more brand ads sitting in there as opposed to the house stuff. So it's it's early days. I mean, we're talking lead times on ad campaigns, three months, six months. You're not going to get them at day one. It's a really hard business to sort of persuade an advertiser to put their dollar with you, especially if they think that there's so many new little ones starting up that may disappear very, very quickly. It's not an overnight business, um, and it's about doing brand engagement stuff as well from my perspective, but I can touch on that later.
0: Can I ask you a really really dumb kind of mechanical question? During your working day, you're working with brands, with agencies...
5: Tell us what you do. Yeah, so day-to-day, um, we've got a team of people who go and see um, sort of media agencies. We definitely started off there. But actually, some of the stuff we've learned, client, clients want to speak to us directly. They want to do cool new things, and I totally get that. Um, so what we're looking at is talking a lot to creative digital agencies. We sit in this hybrid world of radio and digital. Increasingly, I'm sure Richard will touch on it, agencies are adapting as well. Um, but we sit in this weird world that we've got to persuade brands that you can do some really cool stuff with audio and also display. But I also think the digital world in terms of advertising is a bit slow in terms of proper brand engagement. Yes, there's loads of CPC, CPA, easy, cheap network stuff that you can bill out. But actually, if you want to add real value, and I'm sure Don will probably agree on this, it's not about the banner, it's about the experience You have people who adore music, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a music-aligned brand. Fiat, we've just done a campaign with Fiat, and I'll touch on it later. Fiat have no music alignment right right now, but they've done something with us, which is very, very cool in terms of playlist sharing and creation. And that's really exciting for me. But this has taken months and months to get to that point. And with numbers now, people are listening to us. Thank you. Um,
0: I'm, I'm painfully aware, actually, and I'm sure that you'll have noticed this too, there's nobody here on the panel from what you might call a record label or any of those people. Does anybody in the audience work at a record label or one of the conventional uh, music industry businesses we're talking about here? Please don't be ashamed. Raise a hand. There must be at least one. Well, I think that was probably quite wise of you not to put your hand up because I was going to make you represent the record industry. So, well done. But that's quite telling, isn't it? Apparently, Rory, there are none. Put that down.
4: I was going to
0: pretend you All right. Okay, that's an interesting fact in its own right, isn't it? Now, let's move along. Uh, the last panelist tonight is Richard Jacobs. He works at a proper old-fashioned agency, but in a very
7: newfangled way. Thank you. Um, I'll just briefly explain what Mediacom do. We uh, represent clients, as, uh, as we mentioned, um, people from T-Mobile, Wrigley's, Uh, Volkswagen Audi Group, and we place advertising space for them. So we do their media campaigns. So that's across all media, um, and increasingly that's uh, entering the digital space. Uh, My role specifically is radio, but as John was saying, we have more of a responsibility now to look at audio content, not just um, radio. So I'm going to try to summarize my kind of thoughts on this area, because for us it's it 's relatively new i 'm starting to take calls from people that i 've never um, taken calls from before and being asked to look at how I buy things in a different way and I guess my role principally is kind of the gatekeeper so it 's the gatekeeper to our clients spend at the end of the day, so to an extent, we are being seen as uh, the people that are going to fund um, a lot of this uh, a lot of this content. My concern firstly is that Literally every day now, I have somebody call me to tell me that they have an audio streaming, video streaming, whatever it is, service, and it's free to consumer, and that's fantastic. And, and each of the people that I've seen so far are providing a very interesting um, service. I guess my concern is that currently the audience levels are fairly low. There's a lot of what we call fragmentation, which basically means it's just too much choice, um, which means that numbers are fairly low. And from an advertising perspective... Yes, we are after niche targeting, but in some campaigns we just want to reach we, we want to reach a lot of people because clearly that 's how we sell the majority of our products so i 've got a few thoughts I suppose we're the people that apply the brakes, but we can of course be the kind of um, you know we can be the ones that will, will make some of these um, some of these services successful we are Largely positive towards them. So I certainly don't want to be the naysayer here. We are largely positive towards these services, but we do have to look at them with, um, you know, with very keen eyes and make sure they are, they are doing a job for our, for our clients. So I suppose coming to the, coming to the, uh, to the point, who's going to pay for this? Well, I, I guess the advertisers are, are effectively going to pay for this in the long run. But my, my thought for you is I believe there are going to be even more of these audio services ...than currently exist. I think everybody that can do it will probably be doing it... ...and thinking up new and clever ways of of, of reaching consumers. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But we as an agency cannot and will not see... ...all those myriad people individually. And I think what might be useful is that... ...if this is an emerging industry in itself then some of these smaller operations need to get together, whether it's with Last.fm or Spotify and amalgamate um, their off Not necessarily amalgamate their offerings physically, but amalgamate their sales offerings so that you come and talk to, to agencies like Mediacom as a, as a unified industry. So still selling um, and trading on your own individual merits, um, but doing it collectively as an industry. And that would, I think, I think the first thing that you get there is scale and professionalism um, and also, you're probably going to get more of my time and my, my colleagues' time, both at MediaCom and around um, the business. So, just my thoughts.
0: Very interesting. Thank you. Um, I appreciate your scepticism about some of the new platforms. Really hope that we could draw that out in the Q&A. Very interesting. Very curious myself as to the simple, the, the, the gross economics of this business so what I'm fantastically curious about is, that, is, is how now that we seem to be finally inching towards the end of the old mechanical, you know, the economics of mechanical reproduction and that, that, era, that era, of that approximately 100-year era of uh, squeezing music onto bits of plastic or, or shellac or whatever it is, and now that we seem to be approaching the end of that, what proportion of that economics can even be replaced? in this new world by the advertisers or by the other, the other various piper payers who are going to emerge here. I'm really fascinated to know I'm a little bit worried as a lover of music uh, and as a person who's been exposed to so much more music by the whole downloading era, I'm a little bit worried that the emerging industry, the replacement for the old recording industry as we now understand it, might be quite a lot smaller than the old one and that we might have to get used to the idea that it's smaller in economic terms, smaller in terms of its relevance, smaller in terms of its impact on our lives. And I'm fascinated by that issue. I'd really like to see if we could draw that out. A couple of people are even already waving. So let's start with you, Dom.
3: I, Your turn t- next, by the way. Okay, guys. I'd say that um, it's right what you're saying. I think it's gonna, the industry has to change. And I think one thing that the, the traditional industry has been really bad at doing, I think a lot of them would hold their hands up and admit this is understanding their audience so really understanding who it is that they're selling the stuff to because their client was HMV or, or Smith's or Woolworth's rest in peace before um <laughs> my first record ever in Woolworth's um but oh, did you um, so I, I think you know what labels are having to learn and publishers are having to learn and distributors are having to learn or the people that are putting the music out there is who they're selling to and how they can nurture these fans because it's music fans that have the value and there will always be audiences that will pay a lot of money. If you look at, okay, if I talk about myself and I look at Radiohead last year, year before, they put out In Rainbows for free. I downloaded it for free because I wanted to hear what it's like. Straight away I ordered the, the box set, so that's 80 quid, gone. Then I ordered... Uh, two tickets to london then i ordered two tickets to berlin then i i think i also bought the cd for a friend so they've got me for a a couple hundred quid in one year from giving something away for free because i'm a fan and they understand how to nurture that okay they're not a new artist and people will come back and say but they're established they already have a fan base i think that the, the industry will will consolidate it might shrink people will still make music um but it's, you know, music is an art form. There's always success there's always failure. I mean, a major label model is 90% failure rate. You know, of every every 10 artists they sign, nine don't succeed. You know, there is always going to be a failure in in artistic endeavours. Not all painters succeed, you know, not all sculptors succeed. So I think that, we need the money to reward those artists. They need the opportunity to get paid so they can release their music. But we have to accept that yes, things will change. Maybe it will shrink. It's definitely going to evolve.
0: You're not just a Radiohead fan, are you? You're actually slightly a bit demented, obsessive. aren't you? Yeah, yes. a, little, a little bit. Yes, a little okay. bit. going to go next, and then and then you're going to ask that.
4: I was going to say something different, but I, then I was listening to what you were saying about you know. Yeah, nine out of ten artists um, traditionally would not w- would not even break even. Um, and obviously, the money that the tenth one made would support... Would, would actually pay for the other artists to be able to make albums. Um, and maybe they wouldn't break even. Maybe Joni Mitchell, for the last 20 years, was able to put out records... Even though she she actually did not make money, she lost money for the record company, um, and that was thanks to whoever you know the lady gaga of, of the time was. Um, I think one thing that concerns me is that um, I, I expected with the internet that it would be more egalitarian and uh, but it seems to be at least now initially. Um, that the same model of the the major labels uh, taking uh, the biggest chunk and being able to negotiate being able to uh, uh, survive and and not paying the artist, which is traditionally for you know decades and decades and, and decades you know very few artists actually did see a lot of, out of that money that the major label made <clears throat> and I, I wish that um, the startups would would uh, be more open and and communicative with artists and support artists that are are coming up and trying to do it themselves um, because of uh, when they pay uh, major labels up front usually that ends up in black box and doesn't end up with the artist per se um, i I brought up in one of my blogs that you know i Wish there was like a fair trademark for um, new companies, uh, so that fans that actually were uh, music fans would know if the artists get paid or not. And um, what we were saying about a lot of startups that um, you know need time to build and whatever. What what a lot of creators and record companies too, for that matter, get concerned about is that they build up the audience, and you know, say like a Last FM. Um, without licenses, and then they sell the company for, as in last FM's case, $280 million, um without and making a, a nice little profit off that, even though they built their business on music, and none of that goes to the artists that built their, their uh, company. And then the people who buy it are now trying to make it a, a feasible model. That's why artists and record companies feel a bit... Um, that Well, that's why major labels say pay us up front, but um, independent labels and artists, obviously, uh, would like it to be differently and actually be in working with these companies right from the start. And, you know, artists are, are very understanding um, of as long as they feel respected, as they feel like that they're in it together with the company they're working with. And... Um, I'm curious yeah. to ask yeah. you. Yeah. I have a question for you.
0: Everybody want to come wants to come yeah. in. So, John, um y- so
4: you from what I hear um you you've paid the major labels up front obviously to get the uh the uh and how do you uh work with independent labels? Do you do you um, So Some
5: of the independents, we've got a huge amount of them. I think a lot of people always focus on the four majors, um, but actually on Spotify, we have a vast amount of our listening that comes through catalogs, such as through Merlin, but actually smaller than that, through CD Baby and Grooves, all of that lot. So actually, we do work with a lot of the smaller artists, and I sort of wanted to come back and sort of say, for for a lot of the artists, your music's being nicked. You're you're getting no money whatsoever for it. People are just nicking those MP3s. So in terms of trying to monetize that... um, it, no one's winning. You're winning on the 5% through 7Digital and iTunes. When there are services like Last and We7 and Spotify turn up, then we're able to start to return the money. Now, those checks may be very small at the moment, but if you look at Pandora, I don't know how long they've been going. Four years, four and a half years, something like that. Absolutely brilliant service killed off here basically by streaming costs and, and the I don't know whether I should say this, but probably the PRS not really helping the situation. And in the States, it's very different. This year, they're going to bring in $40 million dollars And that is a a four-and-a-half-year business, and we start to return that money back to the artist. So that's one of the things. Also, um, I think when you have a really deep catalogue people can start going looking for those guilty pleasures. that They might have gone to LimeWire or whatever to Nick, but actually they're now doing that through legal services. So if they go and listen to that track once, you've not heard it for donkey's years, you'd probably never go and buy it, but suddenly the artists are making money on that, and that sort of links back to the back catalogue. But, I mean, seriously, with Spotify, you have to have a, or we felt we've had to have a very deep catalogue, and we're continuing to add to it because everyone has really obscure tastes and a huge amount of our listening comes through not necessarily the four majors and the well-marketed stuff.
0: And there's a big, it's a big usage that I've noticed for Spotify, which is remembering the most obscure artist of your youth and immediately rushing to Spotify and seeing if it's there, you know, and obviously being fantastically disappointed when, you know, clock DVA or whoever. Is there, there are the
5: odd gaps, but we do hear a lot of people uh, saying I haven't heard that in years. I mean, the, the usual suspects, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, we'll work hard to try and get those guys to come on board. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it, the, the depth of the catalogue is frightening. Um, I personally love the way people are sharing stuff because I think sometimes you get choice paralysis in Spotify. I don't know if any of you get that. You're like, damn it, what the hell do I want to listen to? There's so much. Um, but actually there's a lot of places that you can go to to sort of sharemyplaylist.co.uk, I believe radio groups down the line, they've got the talent, they've got the producers who know a hell of a lot about music, so why wouldn't you go to Enemy.com or XFM.com to find out what the latest tracks are and have playlists from DJs? So I think there's going to be a lot more discovery going on there because I know that our recommendation needs a bit of work and there's some exciting stuff coming along there too. I know there there are BBC staff
0: including DJs, already building Spotify playlists. I'm not, I'm not even sure if they're even allowed to under, in the terms of the, their relationship with, with, with the record industry right now, but, you know, it's interesting. And, of course, what I really hope is, and I would certainly hope, as a person who's passionate about music, is that consumption of music is evidently growing and growing and growing, isn't it? There's absolutely no limit to that. It's really growing. And if we just translate that into a viable economics,
1: then we really have something promising. You wanted to answer this, yeah, Dave? Sorry, I've been to jump in Go. Um, yeah, so um, Heliam uh, brought up the point about Last FM, and uh, kind of there is that kind of criticism of, of labels saying, okay, so Last FM built up, you know, what they did on the back of other people's music, and then they sold for a lot of money, and none of the artists got the music, but. Actually, Last FM is a really good example of, of how the music industry is changing. In actual fact, I use Last FM as a data store. So, you know, they built up a business around the data around music and the communities and the relationships between people and the recommendations. So, it wasn't necessarily on the music. And in actual fact, you know, what I do is I use something like Spotify every day, and Spotify has, has a way that I can then um, put all of my music, what I've listened to, into Last FM. I mean, Admittedly, Last FM is now moving more into a streaming service, and that's more of a focus for one reason or the other. But actually, the reason why they built up the value and why they were so, you know. You know, uh, big is because you know it was people actually they'd already paid for their music, but they were putting that data and all that information and in their relationships, what gigs they've been to, in something like Last FM. So, going back to your original point was that you know the music industry as it is, the recorded music industry really, really needs to change. You know, they need to find a new space because if you're still in just the recorded music business, then you're going to go out of business fairly soon, or you're going to have to dramatically yeah, shrink. Fair so the new spaces so I mean you know you're looking at formats changing and and we're still only at the real beginning of that so there's still going to be a period of five to ten years where people are making the money but they need to kind of you know bring their businesses down on a comfortable you know down, downward curve whether that's you know you know cutting back on costs or slightly restructuring etc but where the really big change is happening is is the way that people are interacting with music so you had you know in the early 1900s there was a big mu- uh, business around selling sheet music and that was because you couldn't record it so the popular music of today uh, of that day w- which was actually cultural music it was a cultural thing people you know they had their local songs they would sell the sheet music people go down the pub and, and you know there'd be a person who, who played that music and so we've seen this constant change and with those changes we've also seen the, the business models around how we interact with music so you know my son he's only eight months old now he's not going to know what an album is necessarily you know in you know when he grows up um, when, when he's 15 he's going to be more in interested in what's the popular music, what's the pop- popular artist and how do I get involved in that music, you know, people now everyone in the room, half of them probably use Twitter, you know, I blog, I'm not a professional blogger, you know, I, I actually, you know, I'm an amateur piano player I, you know, cover my favourite, you know, I'll play Joanna Newsom on the, on the piano I'll work out what she plays and then I upload that to my SoundCloud account because I want, I want someone to hear what I've done and I think we're just, at real this beginning of the curve where the format is totally changing from CDs, everyone's a publisher so they're doing you know they want to get their music they want an iPhone app I mean the last album that I actually purchased was an iPhone app it was a collection of 12 dubstep tracks but I didn't just listen to it I'm on the tube and I'm kind of playing along to it and tapping along and having to complete a game to listen to the next track in the album and i just think that people whether it's interacting in different ways with things like rjdj which is kind of a whole new genre of music of reactive music um or whether it's even just people you know mashup culture you know people downloading stems you know collaborating on music that's like a really massive thing um and that's you know that there is also music production is completely changing there's a lot of music production services that are actually being built like in the cloud so just so, just in the same way that you can edit a photo in the browser you can actually edit music in the browser and that's going to completely change things because in five years time somebody's going to release a really popular um, track and it won't be a rush to be like I've got the t-shirt I've got the album it's, it's going to be a rush to be like wow I just made this amazing remix and I'm the the, the, the most popular guy in the playground because here's my version and isn't it great? It's the same, we've seen it in Jamaica with, you know, rhythms and things like that. It's not necessarily about, you know, the album. It's just, this is the popular rhythm and we're going to go out and dance and people are going to cover it and put their own lyrics on it. And I think that's one massive cultural change so that anybody, the whole industry at the moment is still geared towards a CD. It's one CD, we're going to go in the studio for three months, we're going to put a single out, we're going to market the hell out of it, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then there's the album that is going to completely change. That's something that we knew. That's something that's wired inside our brain. But I really, really passionately believe that that, maybe not now, there's still a transition, but if we look a bit forward to the future of music rather than the future music industry, then that's where the new business models are going to be made. So, And there's still a place for all the other things that we're talking about, but we really, as an entire industry, need to be, Funding, we need to be, you know, researching, and we need to be getting involved in these things. You know, if someone like EMI still wants to be relevant in ten years' time, they need to be getting with the people who are creating the new formats of the future, as well as the people, the artists who are creating it. So, yes. Good. Hey, hey. I,
0: I do love all that, and it very much it does seem to still boil down to let's we we'll travel, hopefully, because we'll build something extraordinary. But whether it will have anything like the economic value in it of what it replaces is still unknown. Now we've got a lot of people, a lot of hands going up. We've got a bit of a hard deadline. In that, Dom's got a hot date in Chalk Farm at nine o'clock. So got a bit late, a bit later. Oh, it's all right. Okay. So, but anyway, that gives us plenty of time. This is the fun part. I'm just going to pick hands randomly because I know they've been up for varying periods of time. Thea has managed to secure a microphone, which means she goes first. Now this is the deal. All of this is recorded and will be sent out on you know various clever digital methods and including I believe a podcast and what that means is that you need to wait for the mic to get to you so otherwise you won't get recorded it also means I'd like to know where you're from when you pick up the mic okay so Thea, go
4: hello is it on great Um, Thaya Prime from Chinwag not a plan. honestly honest question Um, I was just having a, a chat with a friend here about how kids actually do do music and it comes back to your point you just made and for me and a lot of people, new music comes from games. And none of you have talked about the gaming industry or how that's influencing children and how you can actually get games into music. Now, with my PlayStation, my Xbox, everything else, I can stick a what to me is old media CD in, rip my music and play it along with my games. Why can't I use Last.fm, Spotify, anything else to download the music I like into my games, pay you for it? is there anything like that happening in the games industry for you guys or how do you see the games industry which is now taking over film obviously building into your business models
0: Thanks. do you think we've got the age profile wrong do you think do you think the panel is improperly selected as regards gaming culture come on go on you, you want to answer this Helene?
4: well obviously I don't work for a gaming company but um, I think gaming is really really interesting um, I talked to a friend of mine uh, in New York who uh, was in a band that um, used to be this band called Living Color who was signed to Epic, Yonkers ago and uh, were dropped eventually and have been you know, putting out records on their own record label. And they were used on, uh, I think, rock band. I think it was rock band they were used on. And they said that they actually made more money than they ever made when they were signed to a major label just from um, Cult of Personality and what they said basically this is all kind of um, they they had to re-record the song because they couldn't find the master which obviously um, meant that the money went to the guys, but I thought it was brilliant that it's a way of. I mean, obviously, that the one thing that um, is important is to nurture new bands too, because obviously, they, a lot of the bands that are making a lot of money off of these uh, ventures are bands that were established during the big CD era era, and uh, hopefully, gaming companies will be um, cooperating with bands too um, and artists to uh, develop new things in that. I think that's a really, really interesting point.
0: But presumably music in games, is, and, and actually maybe it would be fair who be, would be qualified to answer this question, but it's a really different animal than music in an in, in existing context. I mean, it's, 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 it's even further from the sort of continuous model that you were talking about, the, the idea of a CD with a, a succession of tracks. It's even further from that, isn't it? I mean, it's a really radical departure and
3: perhaps something that we're not even adjusted to yet. Well, I mean, it is not. it is not. I'd say that in some ways it's, uh, it's similar to the sync model. It's picking the right bit of music for the context that it's in. It, it, the fact that it's interactive and that the consumers can manipulate their experience, that's new... Um, and I do agree with what Dave says. I think that interactivity and the ability to manipulate your music experience will will become ever more important. But I think we shouldn't forget about the average consumer, the passive music consumers, people that used to buy two CDs a year. What's happening to them? Because they were still a very, very important part of the music industry. And a lot of them might be older and might not play games um, and may only listen to the radio. And so, you know, they're still important. They still have a value. What happens to them? How do we service them? How do we find revenue from them?
0: And am I right in... in, in thinking that Last.fm has just signed a deal with to be a streaming partner on the Xbox. Is that true? Does anybody have any detail on that? I think
5: so. I think that's common knowledge, yeah.
0: Yeah.
5: Okay. Um, And we have some Last.fm people who might confirm that.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) It's so interactive, isn't it? Right, we're going to go back to the audience because I think these guys could talk further, but there's lots of questions. Who's got the mic now? Right at the back there. Tell us who you are.
2: Uh, my name's Catherine Corrick. I'm a digital media consultant. I, I'm just intrigued that no one's really mentioned um, fan-funded projects such as Slice the Pie and Celiband, and I was just wondering how that fits into some of the things that we've been talking about.
5: Um, I don't know if you know if you all know what Celiband is. And, Celiband is. is. So Celiband is basically if you're a... Tiny artist could be my brother in his bedroom strumming away on his guitar, but can't actually afford to get um, pay for a, a studio to get uh, an album released or uh, uh, recorded. So what they then do is go and offer a percentage of that um, to you and I. So we can go onto the site, listen to to some music or sort of basically see what they're trying to do and then go, you know what, I'm going to pay £10. And then they chip in and they try and raise, I don't know what the biggest has ever been. Is it $50,000 or something? They've managed to raise something like that. Um, and then you go and get it recorded. But you and I own a percentage of that act and that album. So it's a really interesting model. Um, and especially as things start to scale up, once, once they've managed to make a hit and managed to get a recording, then why wouldn't we have some of that content in Spotify? Absolutely.
0: How would that work? What, mo- w- what model would you select? Would they operate as a label, or how would it work?
5: Well, if you're an independent, you can go to all sorts of different companies and just sign up to an independent label. I mean, yeah, loads and loads of companies, and then you'd be um, uh, what put on Spotify. If you're an independent company, you'd sign up to an independent So if you're, if, you're, if you're an independent artist, you'd need to sign up to a label to get into Spotify. So you could go to a very, very small label... Um, who love what you do and sign up that way. We are looking at ways to sort of take it beyond that where you and I can load up music, but that's um, sort of very much a long way away. But we do want to get there. We want individuals to be in Spotify eventually. Okay, thank you. Right, now who's got the mic?
6: Hello?
0: Whoever's got got the mic, raise your hand and tell us who you are.
6: My name is Wayne Rosso, and uh, I'm visiting from America. And, uh, and that gives me Welcome. a free pass to be an asshole, because it's expected <laughs> of me. Now, uh, by virtue of introduction, uh, I started in the music business in 1970. And uh, I'm the past president of a little company called Grokster. And I just started working with the new, soon-to-be-new owners of uh, the Pirate Bay. And hey. I'm in town... Because we were talking to labels about getting licensed. Now, I have a lot to say. Not too much, I hope. <laughs> to all of you knuckleheads. <laughs> I say that, I kid, because I love. But uh, Korea. Um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. You know. What was your name? My name? My name is Wayne. Okay? But you can call me daddy. Anyway, <laughs> I kid, I can't. Now, you know, first of all, everybody acts like it's the digital uh, revolution and peer-to-peer and everything that's been ripping off artists. Hilia, have you ever heard of a guy named Little Richard? Okay? He was a client of mine. I did PR for 30 years. And he was a client of mine. Now, Richard got ripped off. By who? Record companies. Okay, now it's not still the same. And I just left a record company, Ugh, boy. Anyway, um, what I really think the issue is, is that music, and, and you sort of stated it, music has lost, or shall I say, its economic value is greatly diminished. But the emotional value is still there. What you have to do is learn how to capitalize on the emotional investment. Now, you've got problems from the record companies because they think, and and I'm directing this to you, John, and and, and by the way, I lied. I have played with Spotify when I'm here, not over there, and it's a terrific service. And I tried to found a company called Mashbox a few years ago and got fucked over by Virgin, who was supposed to uh, invest. And, And if anybody's listening, fuck you they pulled out uh, 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 assholes anyway so um, no it's a lovely service it's a terrific sorry it's all the point shut up anyway (laughs) anyway the the, the point is that I think that everyone has overvalued the music it's not worth as much as content holders, holders think it is the real thing is that now it's ethanol. It's a means to an end. And poor John here, the more successful he becomes, the more trouble he's in. The why? Rates.
5: Depends what your deals are.
6: Okay. Well, I happen, to, I happen to have a lot of friends at your place. but And, and I, I want you to succeed. However, you were talking about the flat rate thing. You know something it doesn 't work on a per user. it has to be a flat rate otherwise you 're going to get nothing. These people are going to go out of business right, because let's, wayne let 's pick out a point from
0: what you said uh, thank you very good I got a lot to say I know you have and yeah. i 'm hoping that you can say more of it, but perhaps afterwards we 're over a drink now that, I want to pick out something you did say, which is this business of the economic value of music exactly that 's the point we, we talked uh, we 've touched on it obviously uh, a lot. My big worry again is that. The, we've already now, we've, we've arrived at a point where we're now trying a new price and we're trying this price which is zero and we've got a number of businesses that seem to be making that work
5: economically but if it doesn't work where do we go next? I'm <laughs> not sure where we go next but um, if you look at the actual value of music now uh, what is it 29p on Amazon you can get an album for so that's pretty much nothing very very close to zero when you actually look at what people do on iTunes, they tend to go in and maybe buy two tracks off that album from an artist they love, maybe three. So all that investment in time and marketing for 11 tracks disappears because it's three, three tracks people are buying. So actually what you, you need to look at is trying to get good, good albums being made again. And actually if you start to... Is that gone? No, it's all right. If you, start, if you start to actually make good albums again and get share of listening, then suddenly you start to make more and more money. Right now, I think a lot of people probably think, oh, it's just the big artists that can do that. They've got the well-marketed stuff. But you get new artists all the time coming through, and they're the ones that will start to make decent money again. But it's, it's about making great albums and great music.
0: All right, let's, let's, let's see if we've got another question. Who's got the mic now? Has it moved on? Over here. Thank you. Yes, go on, Nick. Hello.
8: Uh, Nick Watt from Citizen Sound. Just out of curiosity, I mean, you're talking about, you know, the artists who don't make money, and we've all heard the long tail. Is it working in terms of Spotify? Because I've got to say, I go to the same records that I'm interested in because Spotify doesn't really have, at the moment, a good way of discovering stuff. So are we just simply creating something where we all go and listen to the same music we've already loved? Where's the discovery element? And where are those people at the bottom of the long tail going to make money from? Because I, I, at the moment, I don't see it.
0: You, you, you go to a, one of my frustrations with Spotify, service I love, not social enough, discovery's not good enough.
5: Yeah, um, we, we have, I'll come on to the social thing in a second, but I, I agree. Uh, we, we, we've put our hands up many times to say our recommendation needs improvement, and there's lots of good stuff that I've seen being done on a tech basis to improve that. Um, if you're right at the dip of that long tail, maybe the music isn't any good. That, that's another reason. If, if it's out there and no one's listening to it, then okay, Maybe you maybe shouldn't be compensated. The reality is, if you can find different areas that have similar interests, like be it websites, people, you do get quite a lot of discovery. But right now, I agree on Spotify, if you're trying to have it automated, we've got a hell of a lot of work to do. But also don't forget the volume of music that we're trying to deal with here and categorizing it and sorting it. But there are a lot of places currently that you can go and discover music. I think, personally, a great way to discover some of the stuff that you may be after if you have a friend who enjoys the same kind of music or has obscure music taste like yourself, get them to go on Spotify and find the stuff they love and get them to email it to you. You can have that. You can drag it into IM, send it on email. I think that's where a lot of discovery will happen. Last.fm does brilliant discovery. We, we've enabled squabbling as part of that. Um, and there's lots more tech platforms out there. Echo nest we're looking to do some stuff with. There's some very, very cool technology out there to help us. But please, we are only or five months old and we will try and improve all these different elements um, and that's all I can say it's like we will try better and we will do better um, but right now it's very early days
0: but there's, a, there's, a large, there's a point much larger than Spotify isn't it? That's across, the, across the industry so, uh, uh, Discovery still isn't good enough and it's barely better than it was when I used to go and hang around in golden discs on the high street at the end of the 70s and it's not you, you know I mean while, while essentially we're still talking about the iTunes homepage or the Spotify homepage and the other mechanisms that we use, you know, think, this is pretty poor, isn't it? Dave. Uh,
1: yeah, I just kind of wanted to weigh in on the kind of the, the technology side. So um, one of the things that I'm involved in is uh, Music Hack Day. So for those of you who don't know, we, we put on a, um, a whole event at The Guardian, very kindly hosted. And we had 200 developers come down and they actually, um, uh, there's... 10 companies out there who all came down with APIs, and there was others involved as well who were all building really innovative stuff. Now, someone like Spotify, you know, hopefully at some point they can release uh, what we call an API, which is a way of actually um, you know, accessing their data and serving it up and you know, making mashups and things like that. And one of the really interesting things that I thought that kind of addresses the point of discovery was um, somebody built a little kind of uh, browser plugin that when you're reading Guardian music pages, every time an artist is mentioned, it's intelligent enough to pick up the fact that an artist had been mentioned and overlay it with a kind of a piece of artwork, a buy link and a full stream of that track so somebody can actually go and buy that. So this is where I come back to the the players are changing, you know, there's kind of uh, Spotify can become this really great platform to serve legal music and one of the problems that the record industry faces is that they're not recognising this and they're, they're going out and suing some of these people who are building up some of these services. So something like SeekPod or something like... Um, uh, what was the other one, uh, Mux Tape, you know, there's amazing people. What, what I really want to see is people like Spotify who are doing an amazing job and now have licenses with the majors, if they can open up what they're doing and allow people to put some kind of value-added layer on that, then that kind of solves the problem. And if the, if the traditional music industry is forward-thinking enough to get involved in that and condone that and kind of, you know, stimulate it, then, you know, that creates more value and the long tail is more relevant and, you know, people can discover it more. So,
0: Thank you. Now, we've got the microphone over there, I believe, for the next question. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm, my name's Steve
8: Jelly. I run a video company called Video VideoJuicer, but also I run a classical jazz label called Plush Music. And our solution to Will People Pay is we video live performances of, of the concerts. So, people pay for a performance, not a CD. Um, and in the classical industry, obviously, the industry has been dead for a long time. Um, so, all of the industry stuff you're talking about is already a thing of the past. Nobody gets recorded. Sony Classics recorded maybe six albums this year. Um, so, what strikes me, I wanted to ask you a question about the economics is surely if the artists are now getting nothing anyway, then the only thing that's going to shrink is either the industry, the amount of money that the advertisers have to pay, or the revenues of services like Spotify. Um, so who's going to shrink most? That's a pretty sad question, isn't it?
0: Can we have, can we have who's going to expand most? You know, just right, think about that question. Who'd like to tackle that?
5: Who suffers?
0: Nobody wants
5: to tackle that. <laughs> if I get onto classical music... I, I used to work at Classic FM, so I know that there were quite a lot of problems with the classical music industry. That didn't mean there was a, a problem with the, the fans of classical music. Classic FM, I don't know what it has now, 5.2 million, something like that. It used to be 6.6 when I joined. And, um, there's still a huge love for classical music, and we know that um, certain audiences, be it maybe older, or upmarket, listen to classical music, So actually, when I'm talking to brands and trying to make money for various elements of the business, I can go to Lexus and go, well, how about we do something and target older people who we happen to know listening to classical music? And therefore, we start to make it a bit more relevant. That cash can be returned. um, But we know there's a massive audience who want them. But again, it goes to the depth of the catalog. We've got Naxos, CMI's back catalog. There's a huge amount of music that can go there. For um, So I believe we're going to grow it. I believe we're going to make it better. Um, we'd love to have even more classical music. And, and maybe that will help the record labels to see, actually, the volume of music being listened to might help them increase the cash that they're going to get from us and maybe start making some more stuff. But let's not forget, Catherine Jenkins also got, was it a £6 million deal, something like that? So there is still a lot of money in classical music.
4: Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. With I mean, I, I don't think that classical music is dying in any any way, shape, or form. I mean, granted, a lot of the classical music that is making money and selling loads of records is a more popified classical music as Catherine Jenkins and uh, Il Devo and, and these kind of acts. Um, but I think it's also because that's the most available and most promoted in media. I mean, let's not forget even, even whether all this music is available on the internet or not, traditional media is still very, very important for people to discover music. The BBC, well, I don't know where he went now, but the BBC has a lot, a lot of power uh, when it comes to uh, promoting new artists, and so does television, because otherwise Simon Cowell wouldn't be making so, such a hell of a lot of money as he does.
0: Just, it, it is fascinating. I'm really grateful for your insight there, especially as to the really low number of new recordings being made. Because it, isn't it just fascinating that a form that existed that predates recording technologies by hundreds of years and thrived before there was a recording industry and did pretty well throughout the period of recording and now essentially exists in this, this recording vacuum again. Where the recordings have essentially gone away And now, are we seeing seeing the musical form itself continue to thrive, to grow, or is it withering with the industry?
8: Well, just just one stat, I just want to say, more people went to a classical concert last year in this country than went to any, any of the total amount of pop festivals in this country. And that's because they want to see live performance. It's not because they want to see recorded performance, they want to see live performance. And that is essentially the big fact that sounds the death knell for the labels, but is incredibly hopeful for artists, and that's why we're videoing it.
0: Fantastic, Mike's over here now. Uh, you hello on? there. Sorry, uh, my name
9: Kevin Trainer. I'm the managing director of SonicAcademy.com, a music technology training website based in Belfast. Because of the technology, we can be. We don't have to be based in London anymore to do all this really interesting stuff. What are you doing here then? I'm a chinwag stalker. I met you guys in Belfast a couple of weeks ago when I have decided to come to one of your events. Um, What I want to say is, having lots of 30-somethings and 40-somethings in your case in a room, talking about the future of music technology is a complete contradiction in terms. Where are the 14-year-olds who are Bluetoothing one another, their tracks who are using all this really amazing technology? That's where the future of the music industry is. It's not us guys. We're too old already. Sonic Academy, we launched in... in, um, our website in April of last year, 10,000 registered users who are into learning about Cubase, Ableton, uploading their tracks, sharing their tracks with one another from all over the world. Those are the guys. And the stuff that Dave said about stuff in the cloud That's what's going to drive the future of the music industry. And us sitting around talking about, you know, oh, isn't it great? Isn't classical music brilliant? It's not what the future is as far as I'm concerned. And I think musicians in particular, they're really slow at adopting this technology and using it. If you're a good musician, if you've got a bit of a business brain about you and you're passionate about what you do, you'll succeed, you'll make money, which is what everyone has to try and do, whether you're a musician or not. You have to try and earn a few quid so you can make some cash and, and, and keep doing what you love
0: doing. Uh, did did, it, did anybody bring a fourteen year old?
10: No. Okay. All right. Who has the mic? Um, hi, I'm Gareth. Um, I work for Apple, and just for the privilege of the PR team, if they're here, and I'm not representing Apple officially. I'm just here for myself. Um, no, seriously, I have to say that it's in my contract. Um, you think I'm joking? I am not joking. <laughs> um, about eight years ago, it's about 2001, um, I was at a, an internet event called First Tuesday about the future of the music industry. And they had a very esteemed panel, including sort of the CEO of Sony Records in the UK. And someone like myself stood up in the audience and said, you know what, if you gave us a really easy and convenient way of buying music online, we would buy music online and we wouldn't rip you off. So the CEO of Sony Records in the UK stood up and said, there is a really easy and convenient way of buying music. It's called a CD. Um, they got fucked, then iTunes came along, and they said, hmm. Anyway, so that's point one. Um, but isn't it interesting that there's nobody from a record label here? Is there anyone from a record label here? I'm not a record label. We make iPhones. Exactly. And then they wonder why they're fucked. Um, someone, you asked how many people had a Spotify account. and um, There's like one person over here who has a premium Spotify account. How many users of the Fiat playlist sharing thing did you have? Um,
5: I I can ask AKQA that, but I know that. It's an infinitesimal number because nobody cares. In in three days, a thousand songs have been loaded up. And bearing in mind, this is a thousand, wow, a thousand songs into collaborative playlist. It's actually quite significant. It's
10: fantastic. Who who thinks that BlackBerry are going to get any sort of return from the U2 thing? Who cares? I mean, why do brands want to align themselves with music? How many? U2 iPods did Apple sell. I've seen one in the wild in like six years. Like, nobody bought one because nobody... Brands and music just don't go together. Music is brand. Seriously, music is brand. The Beatles are a brand. U2 are a brand. U2 and BlackBerry, who gives a shit about BlackBerry? Or, okay, in can, fact, the iPod. Can I answer
3: that? Yeah. Can I answer that? Yeah. I answer
10: that? Oh, wait, is he
3: Go, go, go. Okay, so why do brands use music? It's quite, why do brands want to sell anything? They want to get in front of an audience. If that means that getting in front of that audience has a greater cut-through by aligning themselves with you 2 that makes people think they're cooler, they're sexier. That works. They don't have but, to but, sell but, devices. But, 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 it's not always about on.
10: that. It's going the other way. Um, bands are trying to, you know, like you 2 think that BlackBerry's cool or think the iPod is cool and they want to. He wants to
3: rub off the other no, way. you two think BlackBerry's money is cool and they think Apple's yeah. money is cool. That's because they're so That's fair enough. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. Look, I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, there's an objective for BlackBerry. They want to get in front of x eyeballs. My colleague here could tell me about, you know, the, the, the media agency will set an objective and that gets them an audience. That's what they want and therefore it's a means to an end. And if it works well and, and, and is credible, which I mentioned earlier, you can argue the case in point if you want, it works as far as I'm concerned. And what's fascinating is that the only, the, 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 uh,
0: from the discussion so far, the only working, the only flowing economics here... The only piece of the economy that's actually apparently functioning is the bit that moves money from brands and advertisers towards the, the, the new music platforms. That's the bit that we're hearing, at least. And, but your angle is that even that
10: is doomed to failure. I'm not saying it's doomed, I'm just wondering what the payoff is, to be honest with you, for the brand. I mean, it's the audience. Can I, can I answer
7: that? Sorry, I'm go, just going to probably, probably repeat what, what you've just said, actually. But the, the, what's in it for the brand is in reaching that audience and potentially an audience which um, a low-interest category or product couldn't ordinarily reach. And that's why brands find it, uh, find it useful. I think the big problem is that not every brand uh, wants to associate with music because not every brand's consumer has necessarily been identified as, as being a particular music fan or it's not the route that they want to go down. And that... That, from an economics point of view, is where the brakes come on because just, there, isn't, it isn't an infinite, um, it, there isn't an infinite pool of money that wants to associate with music. You right did use way. a
0: fascinating phrase earlier on, which is it was your job to put the brakes yeah. on, and I really like the idea that the, that the media buying agencies and the advertising industry <laughs> might become the bottleneck, might become the little
7: straw through which the entire music economy has to pass. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a terrifying thought. Yeah, exactly. As I'm sure you'd agree, looking at me. But um, I, I, think, I think to an extent, though, you're right, that, that, that funding comes through bean counters, um, and, and I'm one of them. And, and you know, we decide whether that, whether that money is right to be spent on that particular service. And so if that particular service is is there to fund new artists and we decide that it's not the right portal um, for our particular brand, then you're fucked. Because we're Thank not going to give you any money. Dom, hold that thought. Hold okay.
0: that thought. Let's get another question. I'm sure you'll come back. I've again. got the mic, right. apparently.
1: Go. I've been given the mic already. Is that all right? Yes. So um, in Who this you? world... I uh, so I'm Nikhil from uh, a startup called Mixcloud. Um, in this world of new media and new consumption and new everything and, you know, with no record labels in the room, I think we all understand the importance of startups. But there's a few kind of issues in the ecosystem which prevent startups from having opportunity. Now, we all have been talking about the importance of ad-funded and brand money, but um, we also understand that it's difficult for brands to converse with every single startup that, that comes on the scene because there's so many of them. It's proliferated, and there's, there's too many to talk to. Um, at the same time, the major labels want you know, upfront checks. They, they, they want to rate the startups, and license, licensing fees are too high. So basically, how can we change the ecosystem to actually enable innovation, and to create a much better ecosystem for startups to, to flourish.
0: Right. So, best question of the night so far, prize. And uh, I think Sam, Sam and Michelle will take care of some kind of uh, medal afterwards for that. Okay, how do we enable innovation? Okay, Dom? I,
3: okay, uh, there's a few things I think you can do. I think uh, Will Page first talked about the idea of collective societies taking equity in startups rather than uh, punitive damages, fining them. I think that's a good way making a positive step so if you have an idea and they can see potential so the responsibility is for you to show the upside to show your business model yeah will it happen i know but that i mean that's a utopia and i think that's one way also the government could probably to, do more to do things like EIS schemes make sure that there's money that the that investment in kind of cultural or music based activities is encouraged um, I think they're the two things I can think of. You know, equ- equity-based deals are, would be brilliant. One of, one of the things I've, I, I want, I now work at the BBC, and I work
0: alongside the team that's built something called Slash Music, which is an extraordinary resource, which is ex- essentially pure metadata. It's a huge music resource with no actual music in it. And it's very exciting, and, very, and everybody at BBC is very invested in it. One of the things I wonder is, if, is might it, I'm really speculating, become an enabler for the kind of innovation that we need. Were it liberated in the way that other aspects of the BBC are being Kind of like open sharing?
3: source music data. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I think there needs to be, and this is what Dave is talking about, this whole idea of open APIs, open source, collaboration. I mean, ultimately, you know, Nickel has got a, a great... I, I met him early in the early days of Mixcloud. He's got a great idea. He's very passionate about it, but I'm sure eventually he'd like to make some money from it. So people own IP, right? They own IP in their music. They own IP in their ideas and their platforms. So what can we share and still be successful individually, that's always going to be the challenge. I think. Great. right? Dave wants to have a go at the innovation question,
1: and then we're going to go back to the audience, unless anybody's desperate to, to get in. Yeah, i just say, I mean, what, one thing that completely shocks me about this, uh, the, the question about the startups is that, um, I mean, I don't know whether this is true, and I, I don't want to just be a major label basher, because I think it's very easy just to go and bash the major labels. I mean, ultimately... A lot of the times they do want to do stuff and they do have artists and quite powerful artist managers who kind of stop them innovating. But having said that, I think it's absolutely appalling to find out that certain uh, record labels actually have a line in their forecast which is like, you know, V C money from music startups. And it's almost like right, okay, well we know they've just got a whole load of V C funding, so, you know, our advance is two million or whatever. And if you haven't got that two million, you know, you, you need to pay to play the game. And okay Fair enough. You know there has to be some kind of barrier to entry. Um, you know I, I really want to encourage you know more kind of platforms that allow people to build startups on top of them. So it's actually there's already a pre-licensed pool of content somewhere. And again, agreeing with Dom, you know the utopia would be that you know if you're a technologist and you want to build new service, rather than actually have to go and license all the content and get hard drives delivered with you know content, which still happens crazily enough. Um, that you could just you know call upon some kind of you know web resource and uh, as long as you've got the key because you've paid the right relevant licenses. So you know, I think, first of all, the majors and their guys who have got certain targets just need to get real and stop stifling innovation. And then secondly, I think we just need to move to a position where there's as little friction as possible. And that's not just for startups. That's also for brands. I mean, one thing that's come up in similar things like this is if a brand does want to get involved, there's so much friction because they've got to go to the publisher, they've got to go to the artist manager, and there's a whole load of um, brand funding Uh, money that's being left on the table again, not necessarily just the labels because it's also the artists themselves and the artist managers everyone just needs to bring the level of friction down as much as possible.
0: I love the idea that there's a a line on the income side of the record labels uh, accounts for money that will flow in from venture-funded startups, because presumably that sounds like the natural order for me. Because presumably over there in the startups accounts, on the expenditure side, there's another line that says money we'll have to give to record labels. Well, what if Good point. We'll come back to you. Right now, the microphone's over here.
11: Uh, yeah. Five my minutes apparently. So that's going to be okay, three cool. questions I'll be, more. I'll be quick. Uh, my name's James. I'm a communication consultant. I just want to tie something up about uh, brands and um, discovery and also uh, about simply being culturally aware with the technology. I just want to compare and contrast something which I thought, saw last year which I thought was sort of a paradigm of, of the, way, the, the, the old way to do it and the new way to do it. I saw a couple, one of the things I do up is, man, is manage new bands. I was managing some bands up in Manchester. And we had a big massive attack thing sponsored by Bex. And, like, Beck spent, I don't know, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds like, bought massive attacks, stuck a big Beck's banner over it, gave everyone free tickets, loads of free Beck, said, said, thanks very much, we know the game, we'll go and see the gig now, go away. I want to contrast that with Smirnov, who did a really original thing for, funnily enough, Original Nights, which is where they basically got into the culture. They basically got a group of DJs up there called Unabombers, they gave the Unabombers 100 grand, and they said, "Go and find the 10 coolest nights in Manchester." So they found these like 10 really like small, small nights, 200, 250, 300 each, kids, and basically they gave them thousand quid each, or 10,000 quid each. And it was for all these for all these different nights. It was like Christmas. But what that did was this thing was rattling around Facebook for months. So, like, it brought them. In, it was, they weren't. They weren't just. They weren't exploiting the culture. They understood the culture. They were part of the culture. They were built into the culture. They became patrons of the arts. So they were enabling these guys to have their dream programs. And the most important thing is to get in the Facebook news feed. These guys were in there for ages. And also, the interesting thing is they want to work with these. They want to start working with these club nights, in the same way that record labels used to work with bands. They, one of these. One of these ten will eventually be cream the so they want to start a long term relationship with them right, and, that, okay. and that what I'm trying sort of to say that really like resonates with the audience that's a genuine thing and they buy into that
0: okay something about authenticity mm. something about being part of the culture
5: and n- not going against the grain can I give an example I, uh, the guys in, oh, sorry, the guys in there might have heard uh, an ad that ran on Spotify called Zootopia uh, hey, there we go um, basically, uh, it's a Swedish company that makes suits for 179 quid, tailor made. Um, and they, they ran a campaign on us. And basically, uh, the founders aren't marketeers. And they ran an ad, an audio ad, which shows some of the power that we've got through that on Spotify. But um, what happened there was the ad was terrible, absolutely dire. You went on Twitter. I mean, that's another thing with Spotify. If you want to find out what's going on with an audio ad, just type it into Twitter and you'll soon find out. Um, but anyway, so I went on and I went, okay, what the hell is this ad doing? Because it was Turkey. And I was like, oh my God, people are saying, is this a porn ad? Is it so, like 70s cinema ad? And I was like, is it, is it so cool because it's ironic? And it's like, no, it's Peter who's at his desk recording an ad into a mic and then sending it through to us. Anyway, so um, the next stage was I sort of emailed him. I said, "Peter, look, honestly, your ad's going down really, really badly, even though the traffic was going really well because he's getting... What is this, Utopia?" Um, anyway, so he, he said, right, okay, I'm going to send you another ad. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, next thing, <laughs> we get the ad through, and it's basically Peter saying, uh, yeah, um, by the way, we realized our ad was so bad. Um, I, I made it at my desk, and actually, if you can think you can do any better, send it to ads at Zootopia.com, and uh, we'll then run it. Like, I don't know how many there are, 20, 30 ads that got sent through. We've been running three of them, and one of which I couldn't actually run because someone had ripped off uh, Pet Shop Boys in suburbia going in Zootopia. Um, the, the reason I raise this is that um, there's a lot of original stuff that can go on and quite a lot of bravery. And actually, from a traditional radio standpoint, I'm not sure many media owners would have done that. I'm also not sure how many brands would have done that. Um, but it's actually listening to your user base and the people you're targeting and actually having a conversation with people. So there's a hell of a lot of clever branding you can do. For donkey's years, radio has done some brilliant stuff, branding on air. It's about trying to bring the digital world into that. Um, and it's just about creativity and imagination. And I think you'll hear a lot more interesting campaigns coming forward, going forward. Can I? Yeah, Halia.
4: Actually, I sort of want to go back to what the gentleman over here who's moving. Who's across. now leaving yeah I was talking about um, since i'm kind of like even though i don't work for a record company but i I do uh, move a lot in in the music industry circles um, I think that licensing is a really really important issue, and I think that um, it needs to be simplified I think everybody knows i mean a lot of the times i mean i've had i've realized that somebody's tried to license Something of mine. My my ex publisher was BMG, which is now Universal. So there's like a, a, a chain of command there that doesn't operate in a, in a, a good way. So the, people have tried to license something. They don't know where to go. They you know nobody's contacted me about uh, licensing. Uh, if they did contact. Well, sometimes it's actually happened that they've kind of contacted the publisher; they signed off on it, but never kind of followed up on it. Um, it's it's very, very complicated. The collection societies is incredibly complicated. They've now tried to kind of simplify it, which they didn't, by making uh, publishers be able to pick what country they want to, you know, have their collection in. Uh, which has made it even more complicated because now people can't even, you know, don't even know where to go for different kinds of music, um, and I think that is one of the most important things for the music industry to to tackle and to not be so territorial between record companies and publishers and and mm-hmm. collection societies across the board, um, and I guess in the EU that that's something that they should address instead of like just. Talking about copyright extension and whatever, just talk about actually how companies like yours can just go, it's a simple one stop shop. I do, what,
0: I do think that collection societies sound like something that belongs in a, in a Dickens novel, don't they? <laughs> and, and actually, they. It's a necessary
4: um, evil at the same yeah. time, you yeah. know. I mean, as a songwriter, yeah. you have to have somebody collecting for course.
0: you. Now, one last question before we hit the bar. Thank you.
4: Oh, there's a lot of pressure on me, last question. It yeah, better Toby. be good.
0: This
3: <laughs> Toby. I'm from Cowan Group. My question is, I think a lot of young people are growing up with all these emerging technologies, and it's very easy to pirate. It's, it's, it's easy to pirate. Um, I think the film industry has the same sort of problems, but I feel like the film industry is almost sort of working against them, and it's ca- sort of publicly campaigning. You go to the cinema and you see adverts saying, don't pirate, it's bad, and you get all this kind of stigma against piracy. Why isn't the music industry doing something similar about that? It, it has it has tried in some countries so so in france about 4 years ago they did uh, an above the line an outdoor campaign where leading french artists said don't download you're, you know you're you're killing the industry uh, it doesn't seem to have had much effect i mean i think no industry if you go around calling your customers pirates and thieves you're not really going to endear yourself to them some to call themselves pirates so. yeah some of them do but, but if it's go, a culture where there's no sort of stigma against it and the kids are kind of like well i'm not being told off and, you know, young people are kind of doing it regularly and they not feel like they've not got any guilt
1: about it. What I mean, I think I needs to
3: be, there needs to be a, a more successful PR onslaught. I think what happened was the initial PR was so bad because it was so aggressive, but particularly in the US, it was very bad. I also think that there was a weird perception in the world that somehow everyone was still driving around in convertible Porsches, smoking big cigars in the music industry, and we're all rolling in money. So my, my younger brother would say things to me like, oh, well, what do I care? The music industry got loads of money. They're all rich. Well that's not true anymore, or, you know, maybe it won't be for long. So I do think PR can play a role, but it's quite an ingrained behaviour. Once something becomes habitual, it's quite hard media, to break. Media has
4: a lot to... I, I think media, including the paper I work for, has, you know, need to do more, like, research and not just print whatever PR that they get through the door. Um, Is it just
0: me that, that, that thinks that... I'm, I'm sorry, guys... It's too late. The fundamentals are in charge now. The economic a... value of a digital file is exactly zero. And meanwhile, there are people building out viable free models all around us, Spotify and so on. And why are we still attempting to suppress perfectly valid behaviors, downloading and the rest of it? Why would we put any energy at all into that now?
2: Sorry, I know you said the last question, but you know. Um, All right, you're second, the last person. Last promise. Um, I've just been listening to everybody talking tonight and thinking that um, you know sometimes, I'm Georgia, I'm from Blue Barracuda. Sorry, I'm, I'm Australian, but I live here, so I'm valid. Um, but I, I do, I do think that people have like they've attacked the consumer, they've attacked the artist. I want to say attacked, but the point of view is it the way we record, like to um, cloud boy, sorry, your, your, <laughs> sound clap, Dave, oh, sorry Dave, um, you, you know, your point is, you know, your your description of people making music was my description of hell, which was user generated content, which was people fiddling with technical music and your description of protecting artists was my I, I, I supported that because I think that they're actually recording properly And but then that's just opinion and then there's you know Mediacom who are disseminating um, who are just in the middle um, and then there's Spotify who I think are just also aggregating and disseminating but where, where on the panel do we have a legal opinion, what is law because in media publishing you have copyright platforms very much decided, I used to be the marketing Director at A Australian Associated Press and I had to check with everything on my legal counsel before I put anything in a press document or online or in a pamphlet because there were different copyright platforms. We can do this with this image or we can do this with this um, article but i don 't think and correct me if I 'm wrong that there's any regulation on posting fight whether it 's digital or whether it 's audio, what is the rule?
4: There's definitely a regulation on everything. It's just that you know, but it doesn't. Yeah, it, it just doesn't. Oh, it's doesn't not enforced. It's just uh, no, no, completely no, 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 unenforceable. Oh God, look Jeff. what I've done!
0: <laughs> Things are getting a bit ragged. And sorry, uh, might I ask that lawyer over there to answer that question, and then we're going to have a drink, okay? No. Nope.
1: Hi, my name's Adrian. I'm from, from a law firm called Maxwell Winwood. I'm also a musician. And I upload stuff to SoundCloud. But ultimately, the law is whatever the consensus, whatever we decide it is. So if we decide that, for example, as our, our, our young friend over there said, that the, 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 the artists have got used to too much value being placed on their rights, and that we have to downgrade that, then, then so be it. But if we decide otherwise, equally so be it. So... It's up to us, really.
0: Thank you. I like the sound of that. Now, I'd like you to bring that to the bar and share it with us informally, okay? Now, thank you, everybody. Don't go away yet. Let's have the results of the straw poll. Who pays the piper? According to Dave, it's neutral. He's not taking your position. According to uh, Dom, it will be the advertisers. Oh, advertisers, no, no, you can't introduce a new factor now. According to Helia, it will be the fans. According to John, it will be the advertisers. And according to Richard, it will be the advertisers. The advertisers win. Thank you very much. Chinwag Live, Music, Who Pays the Piper, was held at the and Lettuce in Soho, London, on 15th July 2009 and was a Chinwag production sponsored by Sun Startup Essentials. For more information, please visit www.chinwag.com.